Thank you, Brother Gary, and uh, thankful for the night that uh, Christ was willing to come to this earth and uh, be born so that He could die. Well, we are going to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes here this morning, Ecclesiastes in chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, the Lord knew that I needed these messages uh, and so kind of arranged things in this way. Uh, but we actually dealt with this very subject last Sunday night uh, about <clears throat> stress and anxiety and worry. And uh, just so happens that we're in a text that deals with that exact same thing this Sunday. And so uh, kind of one of those things where you get a, a double dose of it. It kind of makes you pause and go, maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something. And uh, I know in my own life, uh, that's one of those realities of saying, hey, there's been some of this going on lately of worry. And uh, the Lord definitely made it abundantly clear to me that I needed this. And uh, if that's the case, I would just hope and pray that that would be true of you as well. That God's maybe communicating, uh, you need to hear this. This is important and something that needs to be communicated. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 3 and verse number 1. This will be our sixth sermon in the book of Ecclesiastes, which you've titled our sermon here to the world and back again. And I believe it will be a help and a blessing here this morning as we look into God's Word. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we'll start reading there in verse number 1. It says, To everything there is a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate time of war, and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? So he's just examined all these things. There's a time and season for everything. So then he asks the question, what's the profit in all of this? So verse number 10, he says, I have seen the travail which God giveth to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that... Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. I titled the sermon here this morning this, The Vanity of Worry. 
the vanity of worry. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And I thank you, as always, for standing uh, in honor of the Word of God. <clears throat> worry is a funny thing. Um, we, can, we can worry, and in our mind we create these scenarios that are really improbable, but we can convince ourselves that it's going to happen, and we worry about it so much that seldom what we're worried about is going to happen ever happens. Okay, that was a really big way of explaining what I'll explain with my daughter here lately, okay? Brooklyn is our worry wart. Is that a good way to explain it? Of, of all of our children, she probably worries about things more than anything else. That manifests itself at bedtime. I don't know why that's the most convenient time for it to manifest itself, but that's when the worry really comes out. So we put her to bed, everything's good, sing a song with her, love on her a little bit, she goes to sleep. Five minutes later, you know, they always wait. To, you know, you get them in bed good, they wait for you to get comfortable, and finally, oh, all right, the kids are in bed, we can watch a show, or we can talk, or whatever we're going to do, and then, boom, here comes the kids, you know. Uh, five, ten minutes later, here comes Brooklyn. <laughs> and it can be something very impractical, like, there's a monster in my room. I'm going to get gobbled up. There's something in the closet. There's something under the bed. There's a weird shadow on the wall. You know, there could be something very improbable like that to something that is kind of probable, but still very improbable. What if someone breaks in? And, and they go from the front door where they would break in all the way through the house, and they would skip everything else and go to the very back of the house where my room is. And then when they would come in my room, they would skip Maddie on the bottom bunk, and they would come to the top bunk where I am. She can come up with these really improbable scenarios. What if the house catches on fire, right? It's something probable. Could it happen? Yes, a lot more probable than the monster eating you. But also something very improbable. And, and so I've noticed this here with my seven-year-old daughter who she lays there in bed a lot of nights. Honestly, this happens more often than not, where she has these moments where she is worried and concerned that something's going to happen. And so many nights she lays there restless until finally she gets so tired she falls asleep. But think about all the turmoil in her little heart and her little mind and her little soul of something that, let's be honest, is highly improbable that it would ever happen. And yet in her mind, she lays there stressed and worried that it's about to happen any moment. Now we can look at a seven-year-old and we can go in there and we can comfort and we can console her and we can let her know, hey, if there's a fire, we're going we're gonna to make sure you get out, right? We've talked about this, what we need to do. And, or if somebody breaks in, Dad's got a solution for that in the room, amen? We're going to take care of that. Uh, we're going to protect you. If the monster comes out, there's no monster, right? You have to explain that to the kid. It go through all of these things, and we can help a seven-year-old go through all these improbable circumstances and let them know, hey, your dad's here, your mom's here, we love you, we're not going to let anything bad happen to you, we're here to protect you and provide for you, and we love you, go to sleep. You laugh because you as a parent have done the exact same thing. But then we become adults, and the problems in our mind seem much more probable. What if my finances don't last? 
What if I get laid off? What if I get sick? What if something bad happens to my spouse? What if my kid doesn't turn out right? Okay? And we start to go through these things, and if we're not careful, we can allow our mind to run crazy sometimes, can't we? And before we know it, we've created these crazy scenarios in our mind that for a seven-year-old, we come in as a parent and we console them. We say, why are you worried about the what if instead of being comforted in the God is? And yet in our own mind, we allow our own imagination to run wild and run absolutely crazy. And I wonder how many times our Heavenly Father has to come into our heart and soul and say, hey, I'm your dad and I love you and I got this. And quit letting your mind run crazy. Uh, you're, you're thinking about all the what ifs instead of being confident in the God is. And I wonder how many times our Heavenly Father has to, in his mind, say this, go to bed. <laughs> quit stressing about this. Quit worrying about all these things. Don't you know? Read Matthew 5. Read Matthew 6. Sermon on the Mount. If I'm going to take care of the little birds and they don't toil or spin... And I clothe the grass of the field, and I do all of these things. Don't you know I can take care of you? Don't you know I know where you are? Don't you know I know the number of hairs on your head? Don't you know I know everything that's happening intimately in your life? It's not like I'm aloof and aloft and have no idea. And I wonder if God comes down in His great mercy and compassion and says, Go to sleep! I gotcha. Now, here this morning will be this reminder where Solomon comes to this conclusion as he starts to look at all the scenarios of life and all the what-ifs of life, that he comes to this conclusion, I should just live for God's glory and control the things that I have control over and then simply do this, let God be God to take care of the things that He alone can take care of. Amen. So, thankfully Solomon's been on this journey. I say it's thankful that he's been on the journey because he goes on it and not us. Unfortunately, many people, instead of learning from the wisdom of others, decide to make the same journey themselves. So the journey Solomon's been on has been this journey under the sun, S-U-N, and this journey has been life lived on this earth for this earth. So his whole journey has been a pursuit of fulfillment, pursuit of contentment, pursuit of having that inner peace and finding it in this earth while on this earth. And he gives us the conclusion of that issue there in chapter 1, the thesis, when he says this, it's vanity. Actually, vanity of vanities. Which simply means this, I've tried it all and I've come to this conclusion. None of it provides. It's all empty. It's all worthless. There's no value. He then describes in chapter 2 that it's vexation of soul and spirit. What does that mean? It's like striving with all of your might and energy to attain something, but never being able to attain. It's the carrot in front of the donkey. That no matter how far he walks, he's always this far away from the carrot. And he says that's vexation. Well, well, what does that mean, Solomon? It simply means this, that you can go in pursuit of this thing with all of your energy and all of your might and with everything you have. And when you get there, you'll realize this, it's still I need more. You can go in pursuit of possessions all you want. You can go get lots of money, lots of houses, lots of cars, lots of stuff, and you can have it all, and then you'll realize this, I still need more because it won't fulfill. 
Solomon tried all kinds of stuff. So he's been on an interesting journey. I won't recount all the stops. But so far, he's made four stops on our journey. And the several stops that he's made, he's come to this conclusion. Vanity, vexation. Didn't, didn't satisfy, didn't provide. So it's kind of a downer of a book, obviously, because it's talking about all the things in life that are worthless and of no value. But the conclusion of the matter that we've tried to bring up over and over again is this. Life lived for the Lord Jesus Christ is full of value and worth and peace and fulfillment and contentment. So Solomon's conclusion was, fear God and keep his commandment. That's the whole duty of man. And so we've been trying to contrast these two, that there is life lived under the sun, S-U-N, and life lived under the sun, S-O-N, and there's a world of difference between the two. So Solomon now comes to this thing of the vanity or the emptiness of being stressed out, anxious, and full of worry. So let's take a look at it here in our text. So he mentions in verses 1 and 2 there that there is a time and a season for everything. So everything has a, a season. And this is just how God has designed it. Some things happen at certain times of life, and they don't happen at others. Some things are appropriate at certain times, and they're not appropriate at other times. Sometimes it's really fitting to laugh out loud and have a great time. Other times, that's not very fitting, a.k.a. funeral, right? Yeah, there's a time for that. It's, there's a time where it's fitting and a time where it's not. And so he then says, not only does everything have a season, but he also says this, not only is there a time when things have a season and they fit, this is when you do this, this is when you do this, but then it also says this, to every season there's a purpose. Which means at the time of laughter, there's a reason God allows you to have that time of laughter. And at times of mourning and sadness, there's a reason God gave you that mourning and that sadness. Uh, a comforting thought that hopefully you can take this home with you is this, God never wastes anything. Everything he brings in your life has intent and purpose behind it. Heartaches and great joys alike. The valleys and the mountaintops, God never wastes any of it. He not only has a season for everything, but he's got a purpose for everything in your life. And listen, you might sit back and say, uh, we were talking about envy this morning in our Sunday school class, and you might look back and say, well, I wish I had an easy life like they had. Well, maybe there's a reason God allowed your path in your life to be different than their life because he has a purpose in what he's allowed you to go through. There's, there's not only a season, but there's a purpose behind everything that has taken place. We say it this way, God's not in the dark. God's not sitting back there going, oh, wow, that happened? I didn't know that was going to happen. You ever feel that way in your life, though? What's going on here, God? I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm in the dark. What's happening? I want to know. Tell me what's going on. I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. Why, why, why? And sometimes because we have those emotions, we project those onto God like he has those emotions. But I can guarantee you our God is not up in heaven going, why, why, why? What's going on? I have no idea. He is in absolute and perfect control. He fulfills his will as he deems best and when he deems best for it to take place. So Solomon gives us 14 examples. We're not going to really dig into all of these, okay? So there's 14 examples uh, that are here. Again, I'll just run through them here really quick. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant 
and pluck up. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and build up. Weep, laugh, mourn, dance, cast away and gather. Embrace, refrain from embracing. Get and loose. Keep, cast away. Rend and sow. Silence and speak. Love and hate. War and peace. That's a mouthful. There's 14 of them. It, major contrast where he's saying, listen, there's a time and a purpose for this, and there's a time and a purpose for this. And God has orchestrated all of these things, and they actually all take place. Now, a lot of people read this, and they go, what a beautiful poem. Right? It is. It's, it's beautiful the way that it's written. Solomon is a masterful writer here in how he gives it. It's the ebb and flow of life, the comings and the goings, the positives and the negatives, the, the far this way and the far that way. It's the ebb and flow of life. Now, say this, many of these things happen in our life without our consent. Consent's a big thing in our world right now. Did you know God doesn't ask your permission for some things? I would like to know, David Pugh, is it okay if I do this in your life? Do you consent? Okay, our, our God doesn't operate that way. Amen. Our God does what He deems best for not only our individual life, but what He deems best for all this world. Right? And understand we live in a broken and a sinful and fallen world. And sometimes it's hard when somebody comes in and they say, well, why did I get cancer? Or why did this happen? Or why did that happen? Is God not loving, forgiving, gracious, and kind? Yes, God is loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, all those things and more. But you have to remember, we're living in a broken and a fallen world. And because of sin, there's sickness and disease and death and thorns and thistles and things God never designed or planned. But they're a part of our reality now. They're part of our existence here on this earth. And I'm telling you, God opens up those windows and closes them at times, but He has never, ever, 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 ever lost control of it. He is still God of the universe. He is still God over all, and He is Lord over all things. And so He never asked for consent or permission to bring things into our life. Did you know God didn't ask for permission for me to be born? It just kind of happened. It's kind of a weird thought, but I have actually talked to people and met people that are mad and bitter because they were ever born. That they ever brought into, I, I was raised in the wrong kind of home, I didn't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, and I wish I'd never been born. And they are resentful even towards God of even that event that took place. There's other things that you don't really have control over. Your death. Now, please understand, teenagers and young men alike, that does not mean, well, I have no control over my death. Today, I shall go 120 miles an hour down Cuba Street and close my eyes and let go of the steering wheel. Okay? Being a fatalist is not what we're talking about here, okay? But understand this. You can do everything you want to do to prevent your death. You can spend the most money on and the best medicines and the best doctors out there, and yet, the best minds cannot prevent death. It is a certainty that we will all one day die, right? Now, there are things you can do to speed up that process. I'm not encouraging you to do those things, okay? What God is saying here, and what Solomon is helping us understand in this text, is there are certain things that come in life that we just really have little control over. The weather. No, it's not going to rain today. Today's my birthday party, and I don't want it to rain outside. The weather has never once stopped and said, you know what, you're right. Let me go around Bridgeport. Now, sometimes it feels that way. Amen. Just parts the, the, the storm, you know, and goes around us. 
But, but I'll tell you this, the, the, the rain and, and the weather and, and life events even, like sicknesses and stuff that happens, I mean, in many ways, they're totally out of our control. They are totally, if we can say it this way, they are totally in the realm of God Almighty. And I'll say this, there's not only a season for those events and a season for those t- things to happen, but God has purpose behind them. You say, well... Does God allow these wars that are happening? Listen, I don't understand all the intricacy behind it. I'm not God. But I do understand this. God is sovereign. God is in control. And all the wars that are taking place haven't taken him off guard. And so I understand this. What about inflation? Well, again, not saying God's the author of those things happening, but it didn't take him off guard. He's still Lord over all. Now listen, we can go down the list of all these outside forces that have impacted and influenced our life. And we'll say this, there's a season for those things. They're here or they're not here. And understand this also, God has purpose and intent behind all of them. And so Solomon comes to this understanding, there are seasons and there are purposes for every single thing in life. Verse 14 and 15, I think, make it clear that this process involves no new things under the sun. It's been around and it will be around and God in His sovereignty has allowed this to be around. That there will be birth, adolescent, people getting married, having kids, growing older, and then dying. And, and those are just events that happen in people's life and there's purpose and intent behind all of it. Now these events come to all men, Solomon says. They're things that just happen in life, and whether we're ready for them or not, they're going to come. Uh, you all ever played hide-and-seek before? I know you've played hide-and-seek before. If you have not played hide-and-seek, we're going to have a church-wide hide-and-seek after the service. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. That would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be maybe a youth activity or something. So hide-and-seek. We understand the concept of it, right? Isn't it funny when you have little kids play for the first time? Two- and three-year-olds, you explain the game to them. All right, you go hide, and you're counting, and then you get to the number you're supposed to count to, 10, 20, 100, whatever it is, and then you say, what do you say? Right, right. Ready or not, here I come. And what's funny to me when you're playing with a little kid is they're over there, and they're going, <laughs> and you know exactly where they are because wherever they're hiding, shaking, and they're laughing so hard because they think they're hid real good. And so I wonder where they are. <laughs> they laugh it, right? Just giggle at it stuff. So as a parent, though, you, you kind of, in preparation for that, though, you're counting down and then you make that statement. Whether you're ready for this or not, I'm coming. Do you know there are things in life that pronounce themselves that way? Ready or not, here I come. And whether we're ready for it or not, it's coming. Now, again, Solomon's the downer here. Just the one re-preaching the message he already preached. But listen, there are some things that come in our life, whether we're ready for it or not, it's happening. And most of the time we say this, you can never be ready for it. Now listen, I understand my parents are getting older. My wife's parents are getting older. There's been some health scares and issues in their life here lately. I understand this. Overall, both of our sets of parents are in fairly good health. But we see it on the horizon. I understand this. We don't get them forever. And understanding this... When that day comes, I will never be ready for it. Ever ready for that. Just 
Not ready. Say so this, I look at my kids, and I look at Nate especially. He's like taller than Evie now and shooting up and becoming a young man. And I say this, man, we've only got him in the home for a few more years. He's going to be a teenager. Pray for us. He's going to be a teenager, and then he's going to get, you know what? I'm not ready for the day when he gets married. I'm not ready for the day when he starts driving a car, right? I'm not ready for those days yet. But say this, ready or not, here they come. And inevitably, time marches on. And we can make a, a list of all kinds of stuff that whether you're ready for it or not, the doctor might say, you have this. Ready or not, that loved one might die. Ready or not, this issue might not happen. And Solomon's sitting here and he's saying, listen, you can spend your entire life sitting back there and go, wringing your hands and saying, I'm not ready. I can't handle this. It's too much. What if there's a monster in my closet? I don't know if I'm big enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if my finances will carry me through. I just don't know. And you can wring your hand and you can stress out about all of these issues that God has season and purpose to. But understand this. There are some things that are absolutely outside of your realm of control. And it absolutely matters very little if you wring your hands and worry and stress and think and think some more and think some more about the problem. It will never change it. Understand this morning, there are some things that are absolutely within your realm of control, but there's a lot of things that are just out of your hands. They're outside of your realm of control. You just can't hold on to and control those things. So what does that mean? Well, thankfully, Solomon kind of gives us understanding of what that ought to look like then. So in verse number nine, he gives us a little bit of this understanding of ready or not. In verse 99, he says, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, just like we just explained, you can try to change the inevitable, but it doesn't mean it's going to change. Next time your birthday comes, you can go, Nope, I'm still this age. And as loud as you want to say it, you're still a year older. Right? There, there are certain things that we just don't have control over. And you can labor in trying to change those things, but what profit is there in all that labor? There's no profit. You can try to stop death from claiming a loved one. You can try to purpose not to get that disease. You can try to stop that heartache right around the corner. But the inevitable thing is, is that God has purposed those things and he has reason behind it. There's reason for that season and that purpose in your life. So verse number 10, Solomon looks to God and claims this situation, these unchangeable events in life, is travail to be exercised by man. Now, I've never gone through physical therapy. I know some of y'all have. Now, when they go and they exercise you in physical therapy, does it feel good or bad? Yeah, okay. Those who have been through it, most of them say it feels bad, but it's a necessary evil. Now, Solomon here, that's what he means by this word exercised. He said it's travail. The, the word travail there literally means a job that has to be done, but it's not fun to get done. So it's kind of like, I know it has to happen, but I'm not looking forward to going through it. And it's going to be exercise. It's going to be painful. It's going to be this necessary evil that must be done. And so Solomon looks at these events that are unavoidable. And he says, no matter how much I protest and I say, no, don't happen. I don't want it. It's going to happen. And he says, it's something that I have to live through and exercise my life through. It's just the reality of it. So what does that mean for us? Verse number 11. We understand this, you kind of just give the explanation of what happens, is that God makes everything beautiful in his time. What does that mean? Well, because God is not like let go of the wheel 
And he's allowed these things to happen. And sometimes it feels like travail and exercise to go through them. Understanding that in the midst of those things, God has design and purpose and he never wastes anything allows us to say this, God is doing something beautiful. In the New Testament, he would describe it this way in Romans 8, 28, that God worketh all things together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. You maybe have heard this illustration before. I, as a child, made the unfortunate mistake of thinking it was sugar when it was flour. You've probably made the same. You grab a handful of flour and shove it in your mouth and it tastes absolutely disgusting. It is. If you just eat a handful of flour, uh, you start spitting it out, it's absolutely nasty. Now, I love vanilla stuff, vanilla ice cream, vanilla flavored things. I mean, they're all great, aren't they? They're wonderful. Have you ever taken a swig of vanilla before? It doesn't taste as good when it's just pure vanilla and you get a big death. Now listen, all those things individually can be sweet or bitter, good, bad, however you want to look at them, but they work together to make something great, don't they? Absolutely they do. That a little bit of flour and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of vanilla and some eggs and, and a few things here and there, and before you know it, you've got some cookies or a cake or something wonderful because they all work together. Not everything in your life is going to be sunshine. Not everything in your life is going to be great. And some things are going to be bitter and they're going to be travail that are exercised in your life. But you have to step back and say this. God purposes all things to make things beautiful in his time. Not your time. Not my time. God's time. And he's allowing these things to happen in your life, whether good or bad, because he wants them to work together as we submit to his authority so that he can make something beautiful and good of your life. That's his intent and his purpose behind it. So, so what is Solomon's ultimate thought process behind this? Well, in verse number 12, he ultimately says this. Here's what you ought to do. Rejoice. Regardless of what's going on in your life, remember this. You only get to live it once. Did you know sometimes my kids drive me crazy? I know it's hard to believe. They're little angels here at church, but they can behave differently at home. And sometimes... You just want to love them to Jesus, right? <laughs> Never, ever. Sometimes they can frustrate you and make you angry and upset. But I'm saying this, I understand this. I only get them that age, at that day, at that moment, that one time. And at some point in the future, you wonder if you'll look back and look at the snapshots of those moments and say, did I live that for the glory of God or for the selfishness of myself? You only get to do it once. Hey, you're going through that sickness right now. You only get to do it once. You only live through it once. Live it for the glory of God. You only have to experience the death of that loved one one time. As tragic and as difficult as it might be. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of that at all. All I'm saying is, is you can live that event out for the glory of God or for your selfish purposes. And so Solomon comes to this conclusion. He simply says this, I'm going to rejoice in whatever state or event or time in life, I'm simply going to say this, because God is in control, I'll control what's in my realm, but I'm going to trust God that he's got this other stuff. And if I can't control it, there's no point in me sitting here wringing my hands, worried about the future of tomorrow, when I ought to be rejoicing in what's taking place today. Many of you might be laying in bed every night wringing your hands saying, I don't know about the economy, I don't know about my finances, I don't know about my relationship, I don't know about my marriage, I don't know about my kids, I don't know about this. And you can drive yourself crazy worrying about all those things. 
But I think if you would stop, as we talked about even last Sunday night, and say thanks for what you know is real in your life today, it would solve a lot of those problems. I think about my daughter, Brooklyn, instead of her worrying about the monster in the closet, if she stopped and said, God, thank you for my mommy and daddy. Thank you for my warm bed that I get to sleep in. Thank you for, thank you for, thank you for. It would sure make those problems start to melt away. Thanksgiving and rejoicing changes so much. Prayer to God in the good and the bad. Rejoice in the Lord. He also then talks about in verses 12 and 13 this, and we'll try to wrap this up quick. Do good in your life. In the midst of those events, you have one of two choices. You can get bitter, you can get better. You can do good or you can do bad. It's a circumstance outside of your control. Here's the thing. When you get that bad news, when you get that unfortunate event, when you have that good thing or that bad thing that happens in your life, your response is totally up to you. What happened might not be up to you, but your response is up to you. I can't tell you how many times I've had people who are going through the most horrendous cancer, the most horrendous thing with the doctors, terrible life event, and to see them have a sweet disposition and a Christ-honoring spirit, and to watch doctors and nurses and a whole hospital reach with the gospel because a saint decided to allow their situation to make them better, not bitter. Seen it. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen in your life, but I do know this. Your response, you have a choice. So do good. Do good. Bring glory to God. Do good to other people. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is the first thing he talks about. Do good in your life. And then the third thing is this. Eat, drink, and enjoy the good. When times are good, enjoy them because they won't always be that way. Solomon realized there are purposes and seasons in time. There's a time to rejoice and a time to weep. So when it's time to rejoice, rejoice. Enjoy the good. Eat, drink, and enjoy it because there are coming times when they won't be that enjoyable. There are probably both positive and negative things that are happening in a lot of people's lives, even here this morning at Bible Baptist Church. Can I leave you with this one kind of main theme or thought of, of the text here, and we're done. Rest in His reason. Don't stress over your situation. Rest in the Lord. Don't stress. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.